Good morning. It's so nice to see you all here this morning. Uh, this morning I'd like to share with you a few things that I'm learning about prayer. And uh, my text for this morning is the book of Job, all 42 chapters, combined with the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so yeah, it could get interesting. Um, because of time restraints, though, I'm only going to read from Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 a little bit. The first verb, or the first verse of Job 1 says, In the land of Oz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Moving on down to verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he said, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. First of all, I'd like to point out that Job got in trouble because God was bragging about him. Uh, so think about that. Anytime lots of troubles come on you, maybe God has been bragging about you. Job experienced financial difficulties. He lost loved ones. He got really sick. His wife turned on him. 
And then he had these three very chatty, annoying friends that showed up and lectured him for 15 chapters. And that was after they sat and stared at him for seven days because his life was such a mess. But Job refused to shut down the channel of communication with God. For 20 chapters of that book, he prayed and he continued in his faith because he wanted to understand. You know, I find myself to be a little like Job in regard to prayer. I want to understand because, quite frankly, I find prayer to be confusing. Consider the following. God created the world and everything in it without hearing a word from us. So why does he call us to pray? And if God already knows what we need, Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 6, why does he tell us to pray? We know that God is not going to do something outside of his will, but how are we to know what his will is so that we can pray it? And if it is his will, why would he wait to hear from us before he does it? Are our prayers going to change his mind or motivate him to modify his timetable? Is his work delayed while waiting for us to pray? If we fail to pray, does he still go on with his will? And if so, what do we miss out on? See, it's confusing. Well, for the past year, I've been more focused on prayer, and, and I'd like to share with you some of the things that uh, I'm learning about prayer. Uh, the first one is that prayer enables us to participate in the kingdom of God. So think about these scenarios. How would you like to be in a family where you're not allowed to participate? We will feed, clothe, and give you a warm place to live, but you won't be contributing towards the family in any way. Now, I know some of you have had teenagers that acted like that. Or how about a job where you're not allowed to contribute? You'll be paid, but you aren't expected to do anything to further the success of the company. We don't want your labor, your ideas, your skills, or your talents. How long could you sit in an office cubicle before you started wondering if there wasn't a better job out there you could do? Wouldn't you rather be in a place where you were valued for your contributions? Well, God created us to need relationships, and he created us to need purpose, to, uh, as a need for, created us with a need for purpose. And prayer provides both of those things. It enables us to participate in the kingdom of God, in his work. In Matthew chapter 18, this is starting in verse 18, uh, consider this passage. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst. Now the context is about confronting someone trapped in sin, but the fact that Christ repeats the promise emphasizes his desire to fulfill the requests of his children. Notice the phrase, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We're called to be God's agents here on earth. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul refers to us as Christ's ambassadors. Towards the end of the book of Job, in chapter 42, verse 2, after Job had found peace in his relationship with God, he said, 
God, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And that is truth. I mean, who could possibly stop our omnipotent God from doing what he has set out to do? Yet in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God actually partners with us through prayer in control of what happens in his kingdom here on earth. Can you see how critically important prayer is? And notice the phrase is not my kingdom come, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's his kingdom, it's his will, yet it is done on earth here through our prayers. Uh, quoting from Watchman Nee, a uh, favorite author of mine, he was a Chinese pastor a hundred years ago. In his book, Let Us Pray, he gave this analogy. Prayer is to God's will as rails are to a train. The locomotive is full of power. It is capable of running a thousand miles a day, but if there are no rails, it cannot move forward a single inch. It cannot go to a place where no rails have been laid. Prayer is laying the rails. God has the power to do what he wants when he wants, but he longs for us to bring it before him in prayer. I know it, it's not logical. I'm an engineer, I love logic, and it is not logical, but it is his kingdom, and it is what he has ordained. And so that we can participate and feel a part of his kingdom. Every Monday night at seven o'clock, there's a group of us that meet here for prayer. And I'd like to extend the invitation to all of you to join us uh, for that prayer meeting. But whenever I'm on my way to church for that prayer meeting, I always remind myself, this is the most important thing I'm going to do this week. And it is. It's the most important thing I will do this week. Because it's kingdom business. Prayer enables us and empowers us to participate in God's kingdom. The second thing that I am learning is that prayer brings provision. In chapter 1 that we read, Job's response to calamity was, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He is acknowledging God's provision. Everything he lost originally was entrusted to him by God. Towards the end of the book of Job, in Chapter 41, verse 10, God replies to Job, saying, Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. God is the owner, and he entrusts things to us through prayer. In both the books of Matthew and Mark, Jesus is quoted as saying, If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Christ promises provision through prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, notice the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. Christ instructed us to pray for provision. Now, in our age of insurance, consistent paychecks, and government programs, it's easy to forget that provision actually comes from God. So often it's not until difficult times come that we recall this and we turn to him. Personally, I find myself praying for provision a lot in regard to my job. I have a job that I can't hardly even do anymore. 
I'm a software engineer in a field that's grown in complexity beyond my abilities in the last few years, so hardly a week goes by when I'm not crying out to God for an answer to a software problem that has me completely perplexed. It happened just this last Tuesday. I was presented with a situation I had no idea how to resolve, and I found myself on the verge of an anxiety attack. Fortunately, I remembered prayer. Maybe it's because of uh, this sermon this week that this happened, but uh, so I prayed, and I asked for wisdom and guidance, and four hours later, God had led me to a solution. It's commonplace in my job. I have to pray for provision to do it. God wants to help us and provide for us. He leads us to pray for provision. I'm also learning that prayer brings protection. In Ephesians chapter 6, you know that Paul lists the armor of God there, and he concludes that list with the word prayer. Uh, he asks us to pray for each other, and so pray, prayer there is included in the list of uh, the armor of God. Once again, going to the end of the book of Job in ch chapter 40, uh, God tells Job this, Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them and all the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. As I read that, it, God almost sounds a little sarcastic there. But obviously, it is not so. We need the protection God offers through prayer. Our own right hands aren't going to save anything. At least I know mine isn't. Going to uh, the book of Luke in chapter 22, the night before he was crucified, when Jesus rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus here issues a call to spiritual alertness that rings down through the ages. In my own life, how many days, weeks, and months have I spent in spiritual slumber, totally oblivious to the temptations that would befall me and my family? And I have to tell you, it's too many, far too many. In the Lord's Prayer, notice the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In his model prayer, Christ instructed us to pray for protection against temptation and evil. I'm going to share personally here now. One of the ways that Satan attacks me personally is with concerns about our country. He provokes me to anxiety and anger over things on Facebook. He causes me to speculate on things that are or aren't reported in the media. But while I was preparing this message, God reminded me of a passage in Luke chapter 12. Here Jesus said, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And I heard God asking me, how much faith do you have in prayer? Do you believe if you pray that what has been done in secret in our government will be shouted from the housetops? Do you really believe God answers prayer? Because if you do, you will ask God to expose the evil done in secret 
and then you will stop stressing over it. You'll stop stressing over what the media does and doesn't report. So that's what I've chosen to do. When I'm tempted to mentally engage in those concerns again, I remind myself that I've already given them over to God and that he is at work in this area. And he is all-powerful, able to work. God cares deeply about the fight against evil that we face, that our loved ones face. And Christ knows from personal experience about the attacks of the evil one. He asks us to pray for protection. The fourth thing that I'm learning about prayer that I'd like to share with you this morning is that prayer brings maturity and an understanding of the will of God. In 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Old Testament, chapter 7, after Solomon had dedicated the temple, God appeared to him and said, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayers offered in this place. What a special invitation to pray this is. As we mature, we learn to come to God in prayer, confessing our sins and turning from them in repentance. Is the plague of COVID-19 calling God's people to prayer? I believe it is. Does our God have the power to heal our nation? I believe he does. Uh, this month, Pastor Evans has uh, been talking from Matthew 6 about fasting and how that can enhance the experience of getting to know God more deeply. So also within that chapter, right before Jesus gives us the model prayer, he describes what a mature prayer life looks like. And in verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Here Christ describes prayer as a mature practice, not meaningless posturing or pointless babbling, but real, honest communication. In his letter to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul describes the mature, Christ, uh, mature Christian lifestyle, writing, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever experienced the feeling of peace that transcends all understanding? It is there for us within the prayer process. What a special promise that is. Going back to Luke chapter 22, the night before Jesus was crucified. Uh, it says in verse 41, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, 
knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Witness the prayer of the Son of God himself in deep anguish over what was about to take place, yet humbly requesting, Father, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus not only gave us the model prayer, he models mature prayer in his time here on earth. Have you ever wondered how saints from the past and present continue to walk in faith in the midst of dire circumstances? I have. In the book of Job, his wife told him, you might as well just curse God and die. That's a loving relationship, wasn't it? But he wouldn't do it. He had a lot of questions. He had hurt and he had anger, but he refused to give up on God and he continued in prayer until he came to a greater understanding. A little over a month ago, I spent four days in the hospital with a staph infection in my finger. And as a normally healthy person, it became traumatic for me at times. I found myself thinking about why I was there and about my relationship with God. I realized through that experience that all my life, I have greatly overestimated my spiritual maturity. All my life. I've thought I was something spiritually that I was not. I thought about believers who are walking with Christ through extreme difficulties like Job. Difficulties such as death of loved ones, chronic illness, broken relationships, financial failure. That many of them must communicate with God on a deeper level than I was experiencing. I mean, how else could they continue to be faithful? I recall the words of Job in chapter 13 where he said, Though my God slay me, yet will I hope in him. What a profound phrase. Though my God slay me, yet that's where my hope is at. I will hope in him. So on a Saturday night there, after my surgery on my hand, as I lay in the hospital bed, I cried and I talked to God. And I, I ended up thanking him for the experience because I realized that I was going beyond just crying out to be healed. It was a part of my maturing process. You know, if every time I prayed for something, it happened immediately, that would be heaven, not this fallen world that we live in. I mean, someday we'll get there. But in the meantime, prayer is a key to our growing in Christ and relating to him as spiritual maturing adults. Before his world came crashing down, Job was already a righteous man living in the midst of all of God's blessing. But how much deeper does he understand the will and purposes of God 40 chapters later? Reading from Job chapter 42 in verse 5, Then Job replied to the Lord, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. My eyes had heard of you, or my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. His relationship with God had moved to a whole new level. 
Spiritual maturity and knowing God more deeply comes through the process of prayer. As I've sought to understand the process of prayer more over the last year, I've found that my faith is really being challenged. What do I really believe God can and will do? I'm realizing that prayer requires the same faith that believing in Christ for my salvation does. That same kind of faith. It requires the same faith that believing that we are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit does. Believing in prayer is plan A without a plan B. We're putting all of our eggs in one basket there. While I close, I would like to invite the band back up and uh, we'll have our prayer time and song. God calls us to pray so that we can participate in his kingdom. He calls us to pray so that we are aware that our protection and our provision come from him. And he calls us to pray in order that we might find a relationship with him that grows into maturity. That was his vision for us when he created us, a deep, fulfilling relationship. During this next song, we want to set aside a few minutes for prayer. I will be sharing different topics to direct our prayer time in between verses of the song. And so first, let's pray for God's kingdom, that it would increase in our church, in our city, in our nation. Pray for friends and relatives who don't know Christ to join this kingdom. direct our prayers toward provision for daily needs and desires, for forgiveness, for healing, for burdens that God has placed on our hearts.
scripture tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. He's after our friends and our family. Let's pray for protection from his evil schemes for ourselves, our families, and our friends, that we would be delivered from evil. We bind him in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of his blood. ourselves, for our loved ones, for our church, that we would know God more, that we would trust him more, that our faith would increase, that we would value prayer like he does. All around. 